Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. In today's episode, I wanted to spend one more episode speaking about the race and priesthood announcement. I uh, have been thinking quite a bit over the last few days about the repercussions of this announcement and how this impacts the way in which we move forward in the church, thinking about the things that we hold as doctrine and true. And I've got several quotes that I'll use the actual audio of our leaders in sharing some of this. And I have to preface this episode with two thoughts. One is, I don't know how this episode's going to turn out. Um, this is not something I, I really planned out really well. I was just in the middle of the night last night. I kind of woke up and said, I've got to spend one more time talking about this and see if I can't get some other points across. And so I, this may seem a little discom- discombobulated, but I hope, I hope when this episode's all finished and you kind of consider the whole of it, that uh, that you might begin to grasp why I think this announcement is much, much, much bigger than simply putting away some old uh, theories on uh, on why the priesthood ban was in place. The second issue that I want to make sure I cover is that this episode is going to be is going to involve critical thinking and it's going to involve asking tough questions. But it doesn't mean I'm being critical of the church or looking for ways to hurt people's faith. As I've sat here and dealt with this issue over the last week and thought about it, and this issue has actually increased my faith rather than decreased it because it's shown me that the church as a whole, there are times where it can be humble and apologize and say it's sorry. And it may not be written the way we want it to be written or said the way we want it to be said, but it certainly shows an acknowledgement on the part of the church that it's grown up a little bit uh, and, it, and it's accountable for the things that it's done wrong and it's willing to accept accountability for those. And and I don't want this to come across as the church has made a 10 billion mistakes and you know it's awful. No, I, every church makes mistakes. And even though we're the true and living church, 
That doesn't make us exempt from mistakes, which we'll use a quote from Elder Uchtdorf to reinforce that and acknowledge that. And by him saying it, I think that makes it fair game for us to, to say that, you know, the church has made mistakes. And some of those mistakes are serious. So with that said, let's kind of get started. The, uh, the announcement on race and priesthood, uh, I think is far reaching. But before we kind of explain why I think that's the case, we need to kind of set up how we've taught doctrine in the past. And I don't even want to go way back. I mean, I could go dig quotes up over the last 180 years that could talk about doctrine. But what I want to do is I want to stick in the last, let's say, three years. And in the last three years' time, what have our leaders said about how we define doctrine? And so I want to start with a quote by Elder Christofferson, uh, where he talks about the way in which we come to the doctrine that we have. At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such. So with this quote, we realize, and I, and I thought this quote at the time was beautiful, and I still do, it, it just, it'll become a little tricky as we move forward through this to kind of put all these together. Elder Christofferson is essentially saying that one given statement in a talk or in a book does not necessarily constitute doctrine. So it might constitute doctrine, but it doesn't necessarily constitute doctrine. And and we could also kind of take that to the other end. We could make the assumption, and it might be correct, it might be incorrect, but we could also make the assumption that he's also saying that while the, the statement by one leader may not necessarily constitute doctrine, the entire leadership teaching something unitedly may constitute doctrine or should constitute doctrine or does constitute doctrine. And so that is one assumption that I make, uh, but it could be wrong. But at the very least, we recognize that one little statement here or there does not constitute doctrine. But then we also must then kind of balance this with the idea that at least in the 1940s, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve taught, believed, were united in the fact that the theories behind the ban were doctrine. Not the, the ban itself, forget it. Again, I won't touch that. Um, I don't know whether the ban came from God or not. Um, I have my opinion, but my opinion is worthless on the matter uh, because the church has not chosen to state whether the ban is, is a God-revealed doctrine that was then revoked by God or whether it was a man-made doctrine that was completely false and, and racist. And so leaving the ban alone and just talking about the theories behind the ban and then also recognizing that interracial marriage being sin was also taught as doctrine in the 1940s. If you are just listening to this episode and have not listened to previous ones, you may want to find the one that, that is titled Race and Priesthood and Doctrine on the website, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. And there are four links there. One of the links will take you to a correspondence between Dr. Lowry Nelson and the First Presidency in 1947, which George Albert Smith was the president of the church, and uh, the entire First Presidency signs a letter and states that the church universally, as far as leadership goes, believed, taught, were united on the fact that the theories were doctrine as well as interracial sin, interracial marriage being sin as doctrine. There's also the 1949 First Presidency letter, which I link 
to that uh, that episode as well, which also states that the theories are taught universally through the church's doctrine. So we have to at least come to grips that while Elder Christofferson is talking about one given statement or one little talk in a book, and sometimes we refer to these theories as having been espoused by just one leader here or one leader there, but we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that the, the church as a whole believed these two things to be doctrine, taught them, testified to them, signed their name off on them. And I think that's well documented. I don't think we can argue that. The next clip I want to share is with Elder Christofferson later on in this, or maybe even before this, in the same talk, he talks about how we come to the doctrine that we have. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe all that God has revealed all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is to say that while there is much we do not yet know, the truths and doctrine we have received have come and will continue to come by divine revelation. In some faith traditions, theologians claim equal teaching authority with the ecclesiastical hierarchy and doctrinal matters may become a contest of opinions between them. Some rely on the ecumenical councils of the Middle Ages and their creeds. Others place primary emphasis on the reasoning of post-apostolic theologians or on biblical hermeneutics and exegesis. Translate that. (laughs) We value scholarship that enhances understanding. But in the Church today, just as anciently, establishing the doctrine of Christ or correcting doctrinal deviations is a matter of divine revelation to those the Lord endows with apostolic authority. Again, a a beautiful quote, but what I take away from this is, is that our doctrine comes by revelation And then any corrections that need to be made or any changes that need to be made also come by revelation. And the trouble here is that in the race announcement that the church made on LDS.org in the gospel topics section, it is essentially saying that, sorry, those theories, even though we taught them as doctrine, did not come by revelation. They were racist and they were wrong. And so... We also then recognize, and again, this is now, now I'm going to interject an assumption. We also now have come to our, you know, our sensibilities about this. We recognize that they were racist and were, they're wrong. And so we are now disavowing them. And it doesn't sound like this disavowing came by revelation either. It, it seems like it's more of just a, a finally a recognition that, hey, you know what? We really messed up here. And, uh, and so, I don't know what exactly we do with that, but it, it certainly tells us that not all of our doctrine comes by revelation, and perhaps our, our corrections on doctrine deviation, that some of those don't come by revelation either. And, and what this does is this makes the church a lot more human than what it wants to be perceived as. Now, I say that in reflection of the last 183 years of teachings. I certainly can find a quote here and there, and I absolutely recognize that over the last three years... The church has made a much bigger effort to acknowledge not acknowledge its shortcomings and the flaws and weaknesses of those that lead the church. And so I grant that this is not a universal thing that the church teaches it is perfect or that everything it does comes from God, but it's certainly a teaching that is much more prevalent and found much more heavily than acknowledging that we mess up 
and that our doctrine sometimes is a mistake that we've goofed up in the past. And so simply recognize there is, uh, there's some complexity here that the average member probably isn't going to grasp at, but, and I don't know that most members, one, are going to read this race and priesthood, uh, announcement on LDS.org. The church certainly isn't like making a huge deal out of it. So the average member likely isn't going to find it. The other thing is that even if a member finds it, most members aren't thinking about uh, the issues in this complex way and, and seeing that again, as we always talk about, things are not black and white. And, but hopefully we can, we can kind of sift our way through this and begin to see that, that this has some serious repercussions, uh, as the church moves forward. And I, and I think positive ones, but again, recognizing that this is, uh, there is some critical thinking going on in this episode. I also want to share, uh, Elder Uchtdorf's, uh, quote from the recent conference. And I, I want to set it up this way. We know for a fact that these articles, about the tough issues in the church have been being worked on for a long time, for at least a couple of years. We also know that there's no way Elder Uchtdorf was unaware that this announcement was coming when he gave his talk in the last general conference. And so now using hindsight, let's listen to what Elder Uchtdorf said in his talk, Come Join With Us. And to be perfectly frank... There have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. So you see him here essentially apologize and say, look, the church has made mistakes and leaders may, and of course he puts the word may in, have done things that violate our culture, uh, but he ends with the word doctrines. Now the trouble is, is, is that if, if our doctrine is that in the 1940s is that interracial marriage is sin, and our doctrine is that these theories behind the ban are, are true, then those leaders in that time didn't violate the church's doctrine. So it kind of misses a little bit the point that the fact that the doctrine itself was wrong. So rather than say, hey, you know what, some leaders have made mistakes that may have violated our doctrine, we're going to have to get to the point sometime here where we have the ability and the accountability to say, sometimes we create doctrines thinking they're God's revealed truth, and actually, folks, we just messed up. We actually created doctrines that were were not true, that were false, that were that were hurtful and harmful, that offended, that isolated, that diminished others. And we're going to have to get to the point where we say that. And and while I applaud this uh, this new race announcement, it also shows me that as a church we're growing up and we now have the capability to get to this place, to get to this place where we freely acknowledge and apologize for things that we now know are wrong and to acknowledge them as such, and to say, sorry, I know we taught that as doctrine. I know we were united in teaching that, but we messed up. To reinforce this whole idea of doctrine being what all uh, what the entire church leadership teaches, because we also have to acknowledge that when Dr. Lowry, Lowry, uh, Lowry Nelson wrote his letter in 1947, that, that the first presidency led by George Albert Smith acknowledged in that letter that uh, that the church was united in understanding the theories behind the ban and interracial marriage as sin as doctrine. Here's Elder Anderson uh, discussing doctrine in uh, his talk a few years ago titled uh, Trial of Your Faith. A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. 
There is an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. So we see here, we see here this idea that uh, our doctrine is what is taught by all 15 of the top church leaders unitedly. And it is not something that is just obscured away in some talk somewhere. When they, we realize that, right, that our leaders are fallible and we allow them to say things that they may not be acting in the office of a prophet or an apostle as they say that, that they may be just sharing their two cents, uh, an opinion and to excuse them from that. But what Elder Anderson does here is he says, look, what is our doctrine is what all 15 men teach unitedly. And so then we have to go back to this 1947, 1949 time period and recognize that everybody at that moment among those 15 men believed, supported, sustained, and taught and acknowledged the theories and interracial marriage of sin as doctrine. Now, the out here for Elder Anderson is that doctrine, the dictionary definition for doctrine is simply the teachings of a church or of a faith. And so if Elder Anderson is using the dictionary definition, then this statement is absolutely true. What he's, but what it basically would be saying is that our doctrine or the teachings of our present day in our faith are those things that all 15 men in the current moment are teaching unitedly. And and this holds up very well to being true, even based with the new race announcement. The trouble here is that we've kind of backed ourselves into a corner with the quotes that Elder Christofferson gave in his talk, The Doctrine of Christ, as well as a quote I'm going to share with you right now from uh, Elder Dallin H. Oaks, and and see if maybe we can make heads and tails of 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 how we define doctrine. Unlike other organizations that can change their policies and even their doctrines, our policies are determined by the truths God has identified as unchangeable. And and that quote, and I love Elder Oaks, but that quote is problematic. It and I and I'm not trying to be critical of him. I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but at the same time, if we're going to examine our faith, if we're going to be permitted to have doubts, if we're going to be allowed to ask tough questions, if we're going to acknowledge that our church has made mistakes, then we're going to have to be able to come to terms with in a nice, cordial, respectful um way, be able to discuss and talk about openly those things that that give us concern. And so as I listen to this quote from Elder Oaks, essentially what he's saying is while other churches can change their policies and even their doctrines, our policies, now policies is a step less than doctrine, right? And, and Elder Oaks is acknowledging that. He is, he is in this way describing doctrines as those major pieces of framework that, that really just simply do not change easily and which he acknowledges only can be changed by revelation. And he acknowledges that policies are kind of a step down from that. They're things that may be part of the present programs and, and they're not as solid as doctrine. But he says even in, even with policies in our church, to change those must come by revelation. And, and so in some way, Elder Christofferson and Elder Oaks have kind of backed uh, the definition of doctrine into a corner in a way that uh, doctrine is seen as divine truth revealed of God that can only come into effect or or be revoked by revelation from Heavenly Father. 
that it is divine truth that is not a, simply a statement made at one time in one place, but rather it is given by revelation to the entire leadership of the church and hence has their whole stamp of approval and that the only way it can change is again if another revelation comes. And so, and I, and I'm hesitant here. I, I want to be careful how I say all these things. I'm, um, I, I struggle. I am struggling with this. Now, is this hurting my faith? No. In fact, I, I consider this progress. This is a huge step forward. And I hope each of you will see it that way. This is a huge step in the direction of our church growing up. And, and to get off, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but to get off its high horse in seeing itself as the true and living church that has complete approval from Heavenly Father and all that it does and it can impact others around it however it chooses because it has it has God's okay to do so right which is a very a very stage 3 approach it's a very it's a very black and white way to see things it's this it's this idea that you know we are always inspired because we have been called of God and so everything i do is an inspired decision and i know for sure that every decision i make as a leader in the church has God's vote, because whether it be by the voice of God or by the voice of his servant, it is the same. And this finally pushes us off of that that uh, that podium of saying that. So with that said, I want to share with you what repercussions I see uh, by the nature of this race announcement and the conflict that it causes between what is said there and in the quotes that I've already shared with you. Number one, we've already talked about... Essentially, it's this announcement automatically creates a conflict between it and what Elder Anderson said in the trial of our faith in defining doctrine. Now, it really doesn't only when you take Elder Christofferson and Elder Oaks quote and combine it with Elder Anderson's so that we have a clear picture of what doctrine is and doctrine isn't. If, if we were to have Elder Anderson, Elder Oaks, and Elder Christofferson say they disagree with each other on how to define doctrine, then we might have kind of an out on this. And I'm, and I'm going to leave open the possibility that they do disagree, but it certainly comes off in the way that we talk about doctrine, the way we teach it. It certainly comes off as the way we define doctrine is divine truths revealed by God that we have as the foundation of our church, and it is the only way we arrive at our doctrine is to have revelation where God reveals these divine truths. Number two, this also means that other non-foundational doctrine, in other words, things I would call outside the doctrine of Christ, and for those of you who have listened to this program for a long time, know that I consider Second Nephi chapter 31, faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, enduring to the end by pressing forward with steadfastness as the doctrine of Christ. And I also add to that and freely acknowledge, because it doesn't make much sense to leave this out, as this is the absolute foundation. In Third Nephi chapter 11, Christ also talks about it as our doctor, as his doctrine. He says it is that he lived, he died, he was resurrected, that he made an atonement, and then I would add to that freely the, the blessings of the atonement, such things as mercy and grace. And so for me, that's the doctrine of Christ. Those are the bare bones basics of our church. And those are things that I say can never change. They are absolutes. And so acknowledging what I'm saying here in number two is that this also means that other non-foundational doctrine, everything else besides the doctrine of Christ, is also up for us personally to have room individually to not rely on the brethren to declare what we should absolutely hold as true. In other words, if we back up to 1947, was was Dr. Nelson Lowry wrong 
for telling the First Presidency that the theories behind the ban and interracial marriage's sin are things he did not think came from God. And was he, was he free in God's eyes to be free of sin or of any negative connotation because he questioned things that were currently in place as doctrine? And if he is not at fault for believing truth and questioning the church whose doctrine was wrong, then how can we be wrong today in asking questions about policies and doctrines that we feel are hurtful, offend, isolate, diminish others, and in which we do not have an absolute revelation where we know God spoke and said these things are to be. I think that, and again, you can tell I'm hesitating. I think this opens the door for us to ask more questions and for us to ask why things are the way they are. And I'll give, I'll give an example. This is not, you know, I'm not directly tying this in. I'm not saying Elder Christofferson was doing this on purpose. But in the last conference where Elder Christofferson talked about sisters in the church and he talked about priesthood, he acknowledged we do not know why men hold the priesthood and women do not. And that's important. He acknowledges we don't know. We don't know. We just, we just know that it is. We don't know why. I think that, maybe not necessarily in that issue, but saying I don't know why opens up the door to, for asking questions. It's how we, as a church, get answers is by the leaders of the church going to the Lord and asking, hey, we don't know why this is. Could you help us out? Could you explain to us why this this doctrine is in place? Or perhaps maybe there's room to change it if if we're off base and saying this is the way it's supposed to be. And and that's the way it's happened with everything. I mean, the word of wisdom comes that way, right? Almost all the revelations in the Doctrine of Covenants are because Joseph encounters a question. Either our members asked him to, to figure something out, or he himself has come to some kind of question he needs to have an answer to arrive at. And so we now see that, in my mind anyway, that anything non-foundational, and, and I would add... Anything that God we know has uh, has talked about. So, for instance, we do have a revelation where God directs the church to build temples, right? Build me a house of order, a house of God. We have revelation where God has spoken to Joseph Smith and others and given revelation. And those revelations then become absolutes, at least until God himself reveals a change. But anything outside of what God has revealed, absolutely, or what God has given us in the sense of the doctrine of Christ... I think it's it's up for discussion. I think it's up for us to ask questions. Now, while each of us are not free to push our agenda when we think the church is wrong on a doctrine. In other words, I don't have the freedom, if I disagree with the church, let's just use an example because they're hot topics, women in the priesthood or the uh, homosexual marriage. Let's say I disagree with the church's doctrine on those two. While I think I'm now free to ask questions and to talk about it and to ask Generally, if the brethren might respond to these, I am not okay to now go into my ward and say, the brethren are wrong, I'm right, this is the way it should be. Do you see? You're taking your truth and you're trumping their truth. And I, that, that's never going to work. In, in Dr. Lowry Nelson's case, he turned out to be right and the church was wrong, but he still didn't have a right without, without that change having come and come first. I think he certainly had a right to engage the discussion, even even if he goes back to his ward and says, hey guys, let's talk about this. You know, is it possible that we're off base here? But it would be wrong for him to then go into his ward and say, guys, the church is wrong on this. You know, I'm the one who's right. No, you can't do that. So while I don't think one is free to push their agenda, 
when they think the church is wrong on a doctrine or force their interpretation. This new approach allows each of us to personally, to absolutely disagree and to ask questions, to dissent and to stand up for what we think is right in the face of church policy. Now, there's a line, and you have to be careful. There is a line. Again, at any point where you say, I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to change, you're going to get in trouble. And there's been some things lately with these two hot topics that, in my mind, uh, go a little too far and run the risk of crossing that line. And so we want to be careful. Now, the church may respond, if you if you handle it appropriately, say you disagree and you handle it appropriately, even if you do, the church may respond with discipline, rightly or wrongly. In other words, it may, it may choose to, a local leader may choose to have a disciplinary council on your behalf because what it sees you doing is speaking ill of the Lord's anointed. It may see you as, um, it may see you as teaching uh, apostate teachings. It may see you as being off track from the doctrines of the church. Even if you take what I would call a appropriate, reasonable, and acceptable way of handling that disagreement, they still may have some kind of discipline ready for you. But that now we now understand, using Dr. Lowry's example, we now know that that discipline may be right or wrong, that it they may be using discipline rightly or wrongly, and that in the end, it... That in the end, and in and of itself, does not make the one standing up for what he thinks is right as necessarily apostate or wrong, as long as he does so in a respectful way, and also works up the ladder of authority if at some future point time vindicates him. So what I'm getting at here is that if the church were to choose, if a local bishop were to choose because someone decides to disagree with women in the priesthood, and to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I hold a different view, I think the church might be off here, but I sustain the church. I'm going to support their, you know, their doctrine, their policy while it's in place. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a change at some point. I think that would be a fair way to acknowledge it. Now there may be a leader out there who will, who will hold discipline over that. And maybe you'll find yourself disfellowshipped or excommunicated. But I don't think that in and of itself means you were in the wrong. I think now with this announcement in the past discussion between Dr. Nelson and, uh, in the first presidency, we now see that an individual can be right and the church be wrong, and that time will vindicate the individual. Now, I wouldn't suggest we take things to that point. And I don't know that there's anything on my plate at the moment that I would say, oh, I absolutely think the church is wrong on this, but I'm just not going to say much about it. Um, I don't know that I feel that way. But I am acknowledging that it's absolutely now possible that, that, that there are doctrines now that 100 years from now we will say we're wrong because we have now established a precedent of that being able to happen. Number three, the church is not authoritative in the sense that it can be trusted that the church will be on God's side of every issue or that having 15 prophets, seers, and revelators makes the church's position divinely right or someone like Dr. Lowry Nelson to be automatically fighting against God and his church as if they are one and the same. This article now separates them when doctrine is wrong. And that is also not defined by the church as they cannot be counted on to always be able to define that line of right and wrong correctly. A.K.A. doctrine as absolute truth or doctrine as prejudice nonsense. Do you understand what the distinction there? Because the church acknowledges that it was wrong in the past and it was unable in the past to discern between a prejudice policy and divine truth, we we now have room to 
make that same assumption today on an issue that we feel, again, a confirmation from the Holy Ghost, um, our sensibilities, logic, whatever, to recognize that the church can no longer be the absolute final straw in determining what is true and what isn't. What this does is this now puts the ball even stronger back in your court to do what Brigham Young said, which was not to trust the elders, to always be doing the mind and will of God, but to seek out the Holy Ghost so that you might know when your leaders are carrying out the mind and will of God. And that has always been the backbone of our church theology, but it's something that when really put into practice, most members just tend to ignore and not really grasp. And I'm not at all saying that the church is wrong in everything and we have a right to, you know, say the church doesn't have a right to establish truth or to to point out what's right and wrong. I, I think this point can be taken too far, but I think we certainly need to recognize that in times past, the church thought it was teaching truth, it was actually teaching false doctrine, and acknowledging from Elder Uchtdorf's comments that church leaders have made mistakes, and the church has certainly made mistakes, that we now know that looking back a 100 years from now, the church in its present time is probably making some mistakes as well in carrying out some things that are not that are not truth. This doesn't give us a right to set up our own framework for Mormonism in that we throw out what we have. It doesn't give us a right to cast aside the prophets and the apostles. It doesn't give us the right, again, to force our truth over theirs. In a sense, we have to wait on the Lord. But it certainly allows us to have the discussion to dissent as the church has quoted. I should have it ready. I don't. That just came to mind just now. But Elder Hubie Brown said that us as members of the church should not be afraid to dissent. When we're well informed, when we feel like we've got the right answer, when we feel like the Holy Ghost is telling us something is true, we should not be afraid to dissent. And so I absolutely sustain that. We should not be afraid to disagree, to dissent, to challenge questions. We should do so, though, in a respectful way that respects and honors the office from which prophets and apostles have been called. Even if they're wrong on the issue, even if time ends up vindicating you, you still have an obligation, in my mind, to handle the issue the right way. And so there is a line, and I think it's very easy to go past that line. Number four. The brethren, in acknowledging that they have been wrong and that people like Lowry Nelson were right, have seemingly opened up room for them to be challenged on its doctrines, recognizing that some were wrong in the past. Some might also be wrong in the future. Now, this goes right along with number three, but here's the difference. Whereas the church has now given you the ability to understand that you have freedom to to challenge things and to dissent as, as you feel right, this All this stuff going on is also shown that the brethren acknowledge personally that they could be wrong and that there's room for things to change, not because God revealed it and then revoked it, but because they goofed up in the first place. And so I think this is a little different repercussion. It's one thing for you to see it. It's another thing for them also to see it. And that's what I mean by the church growing up. Number five, this gives a concrete example to use to exemplify the non-blind obedience found predominantly in LDS culture, and to push all to be seeking the Holy Ghost to know when a prophet is acting as such, and to know when all 15 prophets, seers, and revelators are acting as such, in giving a concrete example of when all 15 were not acting as such at the same time. Number six, it also adds limitations to how we define that a prophet can't lead astray. 
as we now know that in some ways he can, and all fifteen simultaneously can, if we define astray, as teaching us doctrine that turns out false, and said doctrine invites us to harm, offend, isolate, and marginalize others wrongly and unnecessarily. Do we get that? We we have a teaching in our church, and I don't know that it's doctrinal or not. I think that could be argued. But we have a teaching in our church that the prophet cannot lead the church astray. And what most LDS members take that to mean is that the prophet and apostles cannot teach as doctrine anything that would be contrary to God's plan of salvation. And when we take into account the effects that the theories on the ban had, the effects of seeing interracial marriage as sin had, the impact that those had with us possibly clearing up the ban sooner, the effect it had on certain people being able to go to the temple to receive saving ordinances that would exalt them through eternity, I think we ought to take a really close look at what it means to lead astray. And I would say that now we have to make that definition if we want to use it. And again, whether whether the prophet can lead the church astray or not, I don't know if that's really doctrine. If we get down to the context in which Wilford Woodruff said that, who he was talking to, and what other comments have been made by leaders that go against that. But if we want to take that statement to be doctrine, we now have to narrow it and constrict it to something much smaller. To me, which is to not change, uh, dilute, or diminish the pure doctrine of Christ. To not... To not a sudden make baptism, it's not by immersion. Or the Holy Ghost can be done by a prayer and not by laying on of hands. Or grace has no effect. Or mercy is something you have to pay for to get to be able to repent and be cleansed. You know, there's lots of things that other faiths have changed that we have put our 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 stakes on. And for me, for the prophet not to lead the church astray, one, the doctrine of Christ cannot change. Two, the keys of the priesthood must always reside with the church. That, in a sense, we cannot go back into a complete apostasy. And number three, the church will be the only place on earth where the saving ordinances of the gospel will be found and administered. And those are the three things that, for me, nothing can go wrong on those. Everything else, and I'm just saying this off the top of my head, I could be wrong, but everything else in my mind is fair game. And so this forces us to narrow our definition of what it means for the prophet to lead the church astray. This, A lot of things we're talking about, I think, will correct a lot of misconceptions and false assumptions in the church. Number seven, Elder Eyring's father was quoted as saying, this church will never force me to believe something that wasn't true, that isn't true. And I think at this point, we have to throw those kinds of quotes out the door. We now recognize that in the 1940s, the church did, in a sense, force its members to believe something that wasn't true by saying something is doctrine, and if you, if a white person marries a black person, you both are sinning. And by revoking that and disavowing it, we've now said that the church officially taught things that compelled people to do things that were not right and were not true. Now, we could justify... Elder Eyring's quote by saying that even in the midst of having doctrine of the church, members are still free to think what they want to think as long as they don't express it out loud. But then this quote doesn't separate us from the 300,000 other faiths and churches out there. That this quote is essentially useless if we're going to apply it in that way. And I don't think, I don't think Elder Eyring's father, President Eyring's father intended it to be watered down that way. But now we have come to grips with the fact that The church indeed can teach official things that are wrong 
but while we are unaware that they're wrong, compel us to do those things which are, are not true and to believe them. In fact, if you read the last letter in the correspondence between Dr. Nelson and the, and the brethren, they make it pretty clear that if he continues to think outside the box the way he was, that he was running the risk of separating himself from the church. And so I hope we see that. The, uh, we also now have to see that the word doctrine has a much more fluid meaning. This is number eight, and this is the last one. Doctrine now has an absolute, understood, fluid meaning, which means it can mean whatever anyone wants it to, rather than being something that can be counted on to mean a specific thing, or at least assumed so. From here on out, doctrine is not absolutely truth. Doctrine is not absolutely come by revelation. Doctrine doesn't absolutely have to change by revelation. In fact, we're probably at this point better off sticking to just the dictionary definition. Doctrine is our current teachings at this current moment in time. And that any changes made would then, if something was revoked, it is no longer doctrine. Not because God revealed it or revoked it, simply because it is no longer a current teaching of the church. I hope that this has been helpful. This discussion will allow me to kind of set, this discussion will kind of let me, allow me to kind of set this, uh, this topic aside for now, as I feel like I've gotten all of my thoughts off my chest. These are all the things I've been thinking about. I, I realize that sharing a, a episode like this is risky. I realize that saying all these things may come off as me fighting against the church. I, I hope nobody sees it that way. I hope people see that I am, I'm proud. I'm excited. I'm happy. I was thrilled when this announcement came out. And, uh, and I hope that each of you are as well. And I hope that this doesn't diminish your faith in the church, but rather shows you this progress that we're making, that we're getting away from this arrogance of setting ourselves up as something bigger than what God really intended us to be seen as. And now beginning to grasp what we really do have and what we really don't have. And, uh, and in doing this, I think, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, it's going to be pretty amazing to see how the church defines itself. And, uh, and I, there's certain things I don't see going away. And again, I, I, you know, those, those three points I talked about in sense of having the doctrine of Christ, having the keys to administer the gospel, to have the keys to administer, oversee, and uh, officiate the ordinances, and to recognize that God gave the church those three things when it was restored. But then seeing the church over the next 10 to 100 years begin to narrow down all of that other stuff. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing to watch. I'm grateful you tuned in today. I hope you found this episode to be worthwhile and uh, grateful that you were you were able to listen in. Uh, may the Lord bless you. May you warm your shoulders. And, uh, and may you always be thinking and willing to toss around ideas and, and take things to their logical end and ask Heavenly Father in the name of Christ if these things are true and, and let the Holy Ghost be your guide. If the Holy Ghost tells you everything I've said today is baloney, then disregard it, throw it off to the side and, and leave it alone. But, but at the same time, when it, whether it's in the church, out of the church, in science, in education, use the Holy Ghost. Let Him be that last point of defense at discerning what is truth and what isn't. And don't let anybody else tell you that he shouldn't be the last step, that somehow you should leave him out. God bless you and have a great day.
Say what they will now. You say. 